0: the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Monica Marvelous. Hey, Monica, how's it going?
1: Better, Mavs. You know, this podcast has really seen me through a lot of highs and lows over the two years that I've now been a (laughs) part of. I've
0: only been here two years. Wow. Yeah,
1: (laughs) but you know, in that point in time, we really have run the gambit. I got COVID again, and I've been sick for a really long time, and it's really nice to be a little less sick this week. So, well, yeah, yes. it's a,
0: a second bout with COVID, right?
1: Yeah. Second bout Is with it better? COVID. No. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> that's why I'm like we really have been through a lot of cycles a lot of highs and lows over the course of I really was thinking about this anecdotally over the course of this podcast I got married I got divorced I got gay like there's been a lot of changes you got
0: gay I was that's always the... gay
1: but you know <laughs> I got gayer right so <laughs>
0: I mean I and this might come up again in the show like I mean I thought you were going to explain how you caught gay from this movie because that was one of the questions
1: <laughs> that we could have done. Basically, I didn't. That's really, that should be our episode title is How Monica Caught the Gay. But yeah. I mean, we we did kind of allude to it during our Jennifer's Body episode that like this media that we consumed in our in what was my high school coming of age era. So so we're looking at roughly 2005 to 2011.
2: Right? I hate you. Yeah. I hate you. I'm sorry that no. I said
1: those things out loud. <laughs> but, you know, we really were dealing with like we had to take take what we got and things could only be so gay and also a blockbuster right and so okay fair that's why i wanted us to do a rewatch of for this particular episode was sometimes I think it's important to think through movies like Jennifer's Body and realize you know they really are they're great films but they're limitations of their time versus there being films Mm -hmm. that are great films that I feel like stand up actually better now than they did when they first came out
0: so this is not Jennifer's Body because we did that episode already you should go back and listen to it what did we watch this time this
1: time we watched the Zack Snyder classic Sucker Punch
0: a movie that I actually adore we're going to talk about this because I actually I've always loved of this movie. I and I went back and I looked up my tweets from before the movie came out and I was all excited about it and I actually posted that I don't care what anybody says no matter what this is going to be the greatest movie ever and then I saw it and then I was like I stand by it. I said this movie I love the acting. I love the soundtrack. I love the visual effects. I love the cinematography. This movie has everything that one could ask for other than plot um, and, then, and I don't think that this is really a bad thing and I'll talk about why but before we do that we should we have a whole bunch of guests this time because you asked me if we could do this You're like hey can we do is this a bad movie on sucker punch because I think it's a good movie and I was like I think it's a good movie too and I was like so I don't know this is a movie that I don't know that anybody is going to have an opinion on other than Mav and Monica you'll notice that none of our other regulars are around I was like no one's gonna have an opinion of this movie from 2011 that is you know that bombed colossally at I Do you know he, he couldn't be here, but I know Wayne actually, like myself, adores the soundtrack. I know he, he, he likes the soundtrack a lot. So uh, well, I was like, we don't care if anybody agrees with us if we're going to do a show, but oh my God, did people have and feelings. I was
1: going to say, this <laughs> is one of our most active <laughs> blog posts in a long time and across social media channels. Like this one really yes. blew up. Twitter, lot, Facebook, Threads.
0: Yes, when the post comes out, I post it to our blog and then I copy it to Twitter and Facebook and Threads and Blue Sky and people have commented in all those places. People have written me on Discord. It's like, oh, are you serious about that? So many thoughts from people. So we have a lot to talk about. Who do we have here?
1: Well, you know, when I thought about the people that we should bring on as guests, one of our first guests is someone who we recently had on the podcast and somebody who I often find myself in conversations about Zack Snyder with. And that is Mike from our Ages of Superhero Comics episode. So welcome back to the podcast night
2: hello i'm wearing my Zack snyder's justice league charity t-shirt today (laughs) i didn't plan it but it's a good you know happenstance (laughs) um very cool
1: and the second person that i thought Was actually maybe the only person, Mavs, that I knew that I had geeked out previously about Sucker Punch with. And so I knew that I had a potential fan with a lot to say. And it's somebody who hasn't been on our podcast yet, but Mav has been on your other podcast. Gosh, golly, wow. And that's Tony. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Monica. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how we know each other?
3: Oh, I am a English professor and I specialize in Victorian literature, comic books superhero comic books queer theory and feminist political theory and i was lucky enough and blessed enough to advise on monica's brilliant master's thesis and i think that she, we were connected by ramsey Fowaz and we just get along intellectually and socially like a house on fire and i just love the intellectual ferment Goes on when Monica starts talking about fashion or movies or comic books.
1: Oh, that was such nice things to yeah. say about me. <laughs> yeah. And I love the, the violent and spectacle of a house on fire, which I feel like we're going to be the theme for the yes with no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, Mav, if you brought a guest. If you want to introduce yours. Yeah. Well,
0: well, so when I posted the blog that Monica wrote to my social media, I got a that ton of comments on Facebook I got like just a whole bunch of some people saying oh god that movie oh I hate that movie other people saying I love that movie I have so much to say and then I got a comment from friend of the show host of sex love and lit Ayani. Hey, Ayani. hi hello so here's how we picked you you posted I haven't watched it in a long time but I loved it then and I even cosplayed as sweet pea and I so I texted Monica I was like we should get her and she's like yeah she's in so <laughs> (laughs) That's it. So it was literally because of that. I was like, I was like, now I actually have. I was showing people before the show on our little video chat that that I have all the sucker punch outfits that I've used during my career as a photographer. I had bought I bought them. So I actually have the Sweet Pea outfit right here. But you actually have your own as well.
4: Yes, I do. I actually pulled it out of my costume bag to see if it's like (laughs) all the pieces are still in there. And they are. And I found the picture from Halloween that year where I had my wig and my thigh high boots on. So I will drop that in our chat so it can be included. Awesome. <laughs> back when I was like young and fine it's a very cute picture actually I like it a lot not embarrassed oh, to have it, it out awesome. there <laughs>
0: We I did the year Sucker Punch came out, we used the concept of Sucker Punch as a theme in my webcomic that I used to write and draw with, with Max, who does our theme music. He and I used to do a book called Cosmic Hellcat, and we did a print version and we did a web version. So we spent the year that Sucker Punch came out doing a fantasy storyline in Cosmic Hellcats where the girls got transferred to another world and they ended up in Sucker Punch style inspired outfit. And so I had cosplayers to stand in for all of our characters. So I had the outfit from Sucker Punch to do his Hellcat costume. So very cool. Yes, I absolutely will include Ayani's picture in the show notes if she wants us <laughs> to. <laughs> All right, so the fundamental question of this kind of episode when we do the is this a bad movie? And if you'll recall, the first episode of is this a bad movie that we did was for the movie Under the Cheery Moon, which I heard reviewed on the show How Did This Get Made, which is a podcast that I enjoy, which only does bad movies. And I was like, wait, people think this is bad? I had no idea that people didn't like Under the Cherry Moon. I thought, no, this is a wonderful movie. Everyone loves this movie. And everyone's was like, no, it's so weird and bad. It's like, oh, you're so wrong. So Sucker Punch is not there. I knew people hated the film they're raw as i I said when this came out i was like this has everything that you want in a film other than plot i understand why there's no plot but i think plot's overrated one might also (laughs) argue that like it lacks socially redeeming value in that like every character is awful but i don't think that's a problem either and i think it works within the concept of the story and i also don't think they're actually all awful i think they actually all have a lot of heart you just have to like look Deep to find it. But I think there, I think there's a lot of really interesting social commentary. And I think it's an amazing movie by, and I'm gonna say this, even given what he's become, I actually think Zack Snyder is a very underrated filmmaker. And I realize it's hard, it's weird calling him underrated because of like his cult that he has. Underrated by real people, cult, right? Like <laughs>
1: right, I,
0: right. I think because, I think because of the cult of Snyder, people don't realize that he actually has an eye and a very specific message that he's going for that maybe he hit it maybe he didn't but I think that's what makes him interesting because I would also say the exact same thing about Chris Nolan as someone who's like at the top of the charts right now I actually would put Zack Snyder in the same conversation as a Chris Nolan or a Stanley Kubrick I think he has a very specific point of view that he's going for sometimes he hits it sometimes he misses it and the difference is film nerds tack on to someone like Nolan or Kubrick and Snyder was tacked on to by a bunch of, you know, edgelord incels and because of who his fan base is. And by the way, if you actually pay attention to Zack Snyder interviews, doesn't particularly like them. He's nice to them, but he doesn't agree with them on anything. So like it's not the message he's going for, but I think he's doing a thing that I think is interesting. And,
1: and I will say, so, yeah, we, we did one. kind of stack the deck when we chose our guests for this one because I you don't know that I necessarily wanted <laughs> to argue with the internet that thinks that this is a bad movie. I want to talk about why this might be a good movie with people who I think might agree with me. So I do want to start by by asking our guests how they feel about this movie today. And also, I'm going to come in really strong and say that this, for me, is Zack Snyder's best film and also kind of Snyder at his like Snyderiest, if we're going to go there. And I'm really interested in where this film fits, not just whether you like it or don't like it, but in your hierarchy of other Zack Snyder filmography.
2: Well, as the one in the Zack Snyder Justice League charity t-shirt, I never tweeted that hashtag. (laughs) I was just like, oh, this is for charity. It's a good charity. And the t-shirt is cool. I'll get that like i'm kind of trolling on my letterbox Zack snyder power rankings list at the moment where i have it as number two bvs the director's cut of batman v superman is number one though but like this is like it is his most snydery it so mm. is everything about it is so visually just ironic all of his like stuff is there mm. and then but like it's still like I want to see what this director's cut is. I want all the dance sequences. I don't.
0: That's the one. That's the one part where I disagree on him on. I don't. I have the extended cut and I have the original cut. So I've got two versions of it. I know when Zack Snyder says a director's cut, I know what he means by it, and I don't think this needs to be a four-hour movie because I think that to Monica's question, I don't know if it's his best movie. It's one of two. Either this is his best movie or Three Hundred is his best movie, and I like them mm-hmm. both for different reasons. But I also don't think it's his most Snydery movie because the most Snydery movie that he does is the director's cut of Justice League in black and white. This is everything that he wants to be unfiltered. And I think Zack Snyder needs a producer to tell him no every once in a while, or you end up with five hour movies in slow motion. And I think reining him in just a little bit helps. I love, I I think the director's cut of this film is really good. And it's not just like, okay, like I'm not just defending it. I watched it last night and I to remind myself of it and I was like oh yeah this is actually something (laughs) I do enjoy this
4: So I'm flipping through just the list of Zack Snyder films to see if Sucker Punch is at the top of my list. And, you know, if we're going to be real, I think it probably is. 300 was quite a spectacle to see. I saw that in IMAX and that was like an experience in 2007. But I don't know. Nothing else made me want to cosplay and really kind of speak to a very (laughs) particular kind of like, like Monica called out in the in the call for comments, like a very particular kind of power fantasy that spoke to me in a way that some of his other films don't mm-hmm. so you know i think it's my favorite looking at the list i don't know if that's I, a hot take but
3: i can i oh wait i might turn up the heat with this take iani i i have not seen dawn of the dead or army of the dead however yeah however i'm looking at the list too And the thing that i've just realized is that three hundred is about masculinist triumphalism and sucker mm. punches feminist yeah. pessimism, and yes. they're actually Absolutely. a beautiful couplet about mm-hmm. like keys and they're exploring they're like i said they're very tied
0: for me depends on what i'm looking for they're very i think he's doing a thing
3: (laughs) right like because i think that there's like a bigger picture going on with him as an artist like going like i you know this is sparta and like who like who gets (laughs) who gets to fucking say that like baby doll can't even say this is my body you know what Mm, i'm saying right Mm -hmm. it just shows a person thinking through problems you know what I'm saying? Like and that's what I love about aki who I love. I adore him. I don't know. Of course I'm not a part of, I think we both I think Monica knows that I'm not in a Zack Snyder cult, but I do love that man. And I will sit for four hours to watch his Justice League, you know, anytime I feel lazy. Like I I'm really into oh, what, wow. Yeah, I'm really into I think Watchman is worthy. I think Watchman, he's, like, he's very worthy of the material. I think
0: mm, that mm-hmm. I hated Watchman. Really? I hated his Watchman cut. That's so, yeah, it's tri- it's tri- it's tri-
3: tri- but I also want to note that although I loved sucker punch when I first saw it because like I was pseudo intellectual and I had to like prove it <laughs> <laughs> I had to let everyone know that I got something that they didn't I watched the extended cut for this just mm-hmm. to give it a little bit of variation mm-hmm. and I was like the entire time I was like oh I understood why people hate this and then by the end of it I was like oh fuck this mm-hmm. is theater of the absurd like he just made a mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. he said fuck you yeah. I don't want you to like it I don't want you to like it yeah. and then at the end he's like he goes "Here's." The thing it's just that, like, at the end, he says there was a plot, you were ignoring it because yes, you were ignoring yes. mm-hmm. what this girl thinks because you're mm-hmm. a misogynist asshole. Do you know what I think? <laughs> like, when she, I swear to god, I swear to god, I, I just want to say that, like, when baby doll goes, It was me, I'm gonna like, let, and she like lets Sweet Pea go, I'm like, You dumb bitch, yeah. she's just a part of you, like, what is, I don't care. And then because I'm a misogynist asshole because I wasn't thinking about what she was thinking and why it was important, it's because trauma made it so that her memories had to be fantasies. And I was like, that is fucking Mm -hmm. brilliant this dude like spent so much money to piss everyone off. Ugh, I'm fanning myself.
1: I'm that's why myself. I love it. And I think it is yeah. just like it's a question of like marketing and genre very much when mm. we talked about our Jennifer's mm-hmm. body of like Jennifer's, Jennifer's body was body. like, come look at Megan Fox be naked. And then you come to the movie and that's not the movie at all. If you look at Megan Fox being yeah, It doesn't happen. Doesn't it, it doesn't happen, even happen. But if you were doing it, <laughs> she would probably eat you. Like that's the whole brilliance of Jennifer's body. And I think when we look at Sucker Punch, there is this bait and switch of a bunch of people who don't understand that, like, this is Darinovsky's mother, right? Like, this is a movie that is okay. meant to make you upset and uncomfortable. This is a Harmony Corinne spring, spring Breakers. Like, yeah. I
0: love Spring Breakers! next. And by the way, the next year, Spring Breaker. oh, we should do that as, as one of them. Spring Breakers, amazing film. Yes, it, it absolutely the fact is. Is, like,
1: if this movie had been marketed to be a pessimistic horror film, Film, in which you understand there is not a happy ending for trauma, right? Like, I think that perhaps people might have understood the concept a bit more. But then I think we would have missed out on what was Zack Snyder's intention, which is this idea of like part of the res- the critical response to this film and the way that it continues to traumatize victims of trauma by continuing to decide how they should behave or what they should think or what you should get out of it is part of the point. And so it is a little bit of getting stuck in the like the author' intention is for us to hate this movie and for us to have mm. this understanding that like, I don't know why I had this very strange comparison, but a few months ago we did an episode about Fire Island and the fact that Fire Island does not pass the Blackville test. And we decided it's fucking fine because right. it's not for you, Karen. It's not Supposedly. supposed right. to pass yes. the Blackville test. Right.
0: The moment we gay, gay dudes, dudes let, let them have them one them them movie. One. Gay-age dudes. Actually. There was something
1: about Sucker Punches like, <laughs> yeah. let me, the femme lesbian, like have one fucking movie. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and it just felt like it, and it's a strange place to be in, in which I'm like, if this movie had been marketed better, people would like it more. But then you would lose the intention mm-hmm. of the film of provoking these conversations about the ways that we treat women.
0: You think it has an inten- intention? I'm not convinced it has intention. I just don't care. <laughs> like, I don't know what his point is. <laughs>
2: can I interject real quick on that just because like that to me like characterizes like this is where like I've written and thought too much about Zack Snyder. So like, sorry, y'all like, like, (laughs) like, yes, uh, yes. But like, still it's like, Oh God, I really have. Anyway, it's like, we're like his movies all except for man of steel, which is why like, it's both good. And like my least favorite, but most favorite Superman movie are all built on visual irony, reflexivity, and, openly playing with how narrative and media works mm. and if like the movie begins with like here's the Warner Brothers logo on the curtain like it's all like there from the beginning like I never saw this movie in theaters I have not seen this or that owl movie in theaters Okay, but Lissa Rosenberg wrote this post on the Washington Post about like hey if you like Mad Max Fury Road go watch Sucker Punch and I was like mm. I should go watch Sucker Punch mm. and then but, like it's the love is the drug was, Like oh it's all there that's what it is. This is what it's doing. I get this now. But, like, people, like, see Zack Snyder is like I bring a gym to all my sets and do push-up contests with Henry Cavill to prove who's right <laughs> and they're like oh you're just like a muscle jock bro and it's like but he's not nah, dude, so the, Yeah, he just he's a, he's a sensitive little like I want to no. be an artist but yeah. also get games
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you it's so funny okay so I just want to interject briefly because if you actually watch any interview with Zack Snyder and I'm not going to I am not going to fanboy out over Zack Snyder because I don't agree with everything that he says. And I think he can often be way too full of himself. However, I also, once again, I feel that way about Chris Nolan. I felt that way about Kubrick when he was alive. Zack Snyder wants to be a sensitive artist. He wants to make statements about the beauty of socialism and how fascism is going to ruin the world. He does have very deep, though odd, views on feminism to, you know, positive views. He just also likes having you know good pets like that's just he's just like he just also works out and he, and because he has this visual sensibility he has a certain fan base of people who if you actually pay attention to anything he says would absolutely hate everything he politically believes like everybody who all the Snyder bros who love all the Snyderverse actually pay attention to what he's trying to say and those movies are all about how superheroes are horrible and it will be a descent into fascism and it will ruin the world zack snyder hates superheroes he hates the idea of superman that's why he wanted to make the movie because he wanted to show the movie of like superman would ruin everything and there's no hope there
3: but he's got a view it's sort of (laughs) i mean yeah i mean i agree with all of that i think that you also have to like sort of place 300 right in like the evolution Mm -hmm. of like aesthetic culture and bodybuilding Mm -hmm. right so like as when 300 hits you have like the democratization of bodybuilding which used to be really niche and now like everyone goes to the gym everyone buys pre-workout like everyone has some sort of relationship to your body and like fast forward now when i'm like you know like on masculinist instagram they're like when you see a when you see an athletic physique you see someone with discipline you see someone with right so what happens is that the aesthetic or body built body becomes a marker for actual virtues and like that Mm. all starts with fucking 300 right where you literally have and i don't mean to be like this is not body hating or whatever but that was one of the first movies where i went in and i was like does everyone know that these guys are on windstraw right now like does everyone know that those like bodies aren't real like or know that they're real but like they're chemically enhanced like the lighting is being used to give them a density and a hardness that like just doesn't happen in real life especially not mm. in Sparta right do you know what I'm saying so like that so the way so it's not just about what he thinks right or the, oh. the way that his art has like a cultural impact and becomes really a big part of a huge shift in gender politics and the male body in the early 2000s right so like you gotta sort of make him respond like I totally get why you know the Andrew Tate set like responds to him because like they watched 300 a lot and they right oh yeah
0: and they're like yes this yes. guy gets me and i don't think that most of those guys like i think call him the andrew tate that is a good way of saying it there are probably a lot of fans of andrew tate who love the movie 300 and do not realize that everyone in the film is gay and yeah. like his, yeah. historically <laughs> and right. in the narrative right. or like or yeah. <laughs> Like I mean, okay, I guess, or by if you want to like be more specific, but like, because there are sort of anti-gay jokes in it, like there's the right. oh, you know, Athens, those boy lovers. <laughs> what he means when he says those boy lovers is because yeah, Spartans love men. Right, right, right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's what he means. Well, actually, that happens in Hell's Kitchen <laughs> like, a lot like, too, like, right? Like where, like you know, like yeah. you, like you, there's like in the gay hierarchy right like fem bottoms are like lower mm-hmm. it's very Greek it's very Greek but yes but I think that like Zack Schneider <gasps> sort of like his work and his reputation do not link up
1: it, we're really yeah. bringing me to the iani um, Ayani, you hinted at this a bit too of so Soccer Punch does feel like a very femme power fantasy that isn't something that I feel like we get to see depicted very much and but also this idea of how can we talk about Zack Schneider as depicting power fantasies in general right or the inherent violence of power mm. fantasies across sexualities and across genders, because I, I think that there is often the assumption, right, that Snyder viewers are these cis straight males, right? And this idea that he actually has this appeal and this large viewership that is a lot of other representations outside of that, especially for us to bring in this particular like collective group of all of us fitting not necessarily in that, like, do I? I seem like a straight man. No. Again, I stacked the deck with people who I thought, you know, are going to have interesting things to say that's outside of the normal viewpoint for these particular films. So to jump in really quickly,
4: kind of pulling on your point, Monica, in rewatching, because I also watched the the director's cut last night and rewatching it, it struck me how deeply it was pulling on magical girl tropes and magical girl stories mm-hmm. from, you know, we've got the band of five who all have their different weapons and their different skills and abilities to the fact that the dream sequences are almost like transformation sequences you mm-hmm. know and there's even this giant bunny mech that comes out of nowhere it was <laughs> I, it, yeah, I mean I love that too it was fantastic but it, it really
0: baby doll's literally wearing a sailor moon literally wearing outfit. A sailor so not Blue, just yeah yeah not just she's not just wearing a schoolgirl outfit she's right. Sailor Moon right she's got <laughs> like her, her hair is yep. sailor Moon
4: so 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 much of it is pulling on this like story these storytelling conventions that are deeply rooted in stories for young girls And for young women and then throwing guns at it, which I which is funny, it's very interesting. It's not like, you know, moon prism power. It's like, no, we pulled out an AK-47 and we're going to deal with things that way. But and I think this was something that like when I first watched it a long time ago resonated with me. Right. Because sometimes, you know, the fantasy is, yeah, I just want to look hot and kick butt with my friends. You know what I mean? And I think that's really interesting when we think about who the audiences are for these or who the quote unquote expected audiences are for in these films. Because there's just anime all over this. And I think maybe that's also part of the reason that people didn't like it. It's because I don't, if I'm thinking back to like what 2011, anime wasn't the same kind of like yeah. cultural powerhouse accepted all across the board kind of thing that it is now, right? There was no crunchyroll, we were still downloading things yeah. illegally. It had a niche, <laughs> yeah.
3: I to Ayana's point about like the genre, the genre channeling that goes on in baby doll fantasy. When I first saw the movie i was like oh this girl likes video games right like these are video game plots sometimes like that's how i interpreted it at the time and i was like would this movie be stronger if we had a psychobiography of whoever baby doll was as a person playing video games so we knew how her imagination was constructed right because it it came off very male to me i was like why does she have like these video game fantasies Mm -hmm. right she's walking around like with the pigtails But on a second viewing, I guess I'm a little bit more nuanced now. One of the things Hmm. that I think Sucker Punch, and I think Sucker Punch misses, right? But purposefully, right? It's about, it's like it's pessimistic, like politics of failure is that baby dolls fantasies are not coherent like they're syncretic which is like you see elements of steampunk you see elements of mm-hmm. american video games and you see mm-hmm. elements of anime so for instance where mav sees a singular moon outfit i think more generally like mm-hmm. the way that baby doll can take Concussive damage, right? Like when she battles the huge like mechas, like the sort of samurai mechas, and Mm -hmm. they hit her, Mm -hmm. right? And then she's basically invulnerable, right? Or hyper durable, right? So she reminds me of an anime called Project Aiko, which is earlier. Yes. Okay.
0: I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say Gunbuster, but yes, Project eiko Better call right Biko and Sailor Moon
3: because they turn out to be Superman's daughters. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is, like, also makes Sucker Punch Mm -hmm. link up with Man of Steel. And made me, like, want to, (laughs) like, scream and cry and, like, be like, Zachy, you fool. Like, how could you? Like, how (laughs) wonderful. But so what I think is the thing is that when people went to the movie, they were like, what the fuck is this? And it's like, they didn't understand because they didn't, they wanted to recognize something Mm -hmm. that they knew. Zack Schneider gives like, no, this is a hot, this Mm. is what's called in psychoanalysis, like a condensation of multiple cultural influences that baby doll is synthesizing. Mm. And I was just very happy with it. And also the way that the power fantasy is always mobilizing science fiction and steampunk tropes so that they get to kill Mm -hmm. without hurting anyone Mm. She doesn't want to hurt anyone. She just wants to feel in control, right? Because a lot of the soldiers, the Nazi soldiers, are like steampunk pneumatic zombies, right, or Mm -hmm. robots. Mm -hmm. Because fantasy is of not having to hurt someone after she accidentally kills her sister, and I was, and that also like ripped me apart. Right, power fantasy without hurting anyone is
0: like really. She's willing to kill the most living thing that she's willing to kill is a dragon because dragons are you know are creatures designed to be murdered in a yeah. fantasy world. So like she's willing to go in the D&D, oh, yes. and the um, D&D yeah. world and, and kill orcs. a dragon. Yes. But mostly yeah, but mostly it's yeah, but mostly it's a lot of I mean, she goes on quest after quest fighting in inhuman you know, It's yeah. the Marvel mm. days, the current Marvel movies where we don't wanna, you know, where we'll toss Chitari out there because it's really easy. You know, you don't wanna have Captain America just murdering people left and right. So just, you know, you know toss a bunch of aliens out there and who cares, you know, like the, like if they're so if they're so inhuman that like you cannot think of them as people, you can think of um, them as bugs and that's I what baby have feelings calls about us.
1: that. But Well, I mean, I think that there's also something about like, (laughs) that's also a lot of the criticism of these particular characters and a bit of what I was getting out of like the way that these cultures or these stories sort of treat women as being like, well, if you don't have to think about how she feels, right, then there is also this ability to be like inherently inhumanizing and objectifying of all of these people, which felt very much like when you make a film that feels like a bunch of music videos linked together perfect you don't get a lot of chance to hear about people's feelings or care about their feelings and therefore it seems to give permission for objectification right and i think that there's something within flecker punch that's actually pushing back on that and tony as much as you bring up like wanting to understand who she is or why she likes these things i think there is also something that's like it's actually important that we care about her without knowing anything about her because that itself is inherently very humanizing like Mm. that to Mm. not give her a bad Background and still Mm. treat her like a person is a sense of autonomy that she has not been given by anyone else. And so that in itself yeah. becomes the radical act when it comes to the
3: reflection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no name.
0: She doesn't mm-hmm. even really have a name. Yeah, she, I mean, she's ba- she's baby or baby doll, but only because they were like even the other girls, they have nicknames that sort of kind of vaguely mean something. Baby doll is like a, that was the insulting name they called her on day one. So mm-hmm. they're like, good enough. <laughs> it was just like a, yeah, fine, baby doll, go over there. And like, yeah, that's who you're going to be, because we can't be bothered to come up with an identity for you other than the fact that like her entire character to most of the characters in the movie is you're the girl whose virginity we're going to sell.
1: Which is very strange because she's not a virgin. No, like, the point of the film is that she's been, she she's been, and her mm-hmm. sister have, have been, been sexually repeatedly. abused yes. her stepfather, which yes. means you are already selling her.
0: You're selling the idea of her. That yeah. She is not yes. the
1: idea of her. Yeah. Yes. It's,
0: yeah, and the movie knows that's not a mistake. No. That's mm-hmm. why I think the film's amazing. Yeah, because and all. Do, like it's not a mistake. It happens more obviously in uh, the Joss Whedon movie, the horror movie with the underground house on this hill. Yeah. Yeah. cabin in the woods. cabin in the woods. There's a character in there who they're like, oh, you all represent a horrible trope and you're the virgin. And she's like, I'm not a virgin. Like, doesn't matter. The film needs you to be. And that's that's the concept mm-hmm. in that film. And I think that's what's happening here. Like, she's not a virgin. She's not innocent. Like, everything about her is this constructed vision. And I'm kind of curious, like, I know Ayani watched it because you told me off air, and I think you even said it here. And Tony, you said you watched the uh, the director's cut, the extended cut, whatever they call it for this, like, right? I,
3: the, the, I watched the extended cut, and I I believe... Zack Snyder says he would like yeah. to make the mm-hmm. director. Yes, cut. yeah, yeah. I, but you watch okay? like the director's doesn't yes, doesn't exist as yet. far as
0: yeah. But like you watch the longer version. So so the yeah. three of yes, us have seen did. the longer version. Mike and Monica, have you guys seen the longer version? The I've only seen the extended cut. <laughs> You've only seen the extended cut.
1: I, yeah, saw the theatrical when it when it came out, and then I owned um the a DVD that had both. both. Okay, yeah. So
0: because yeah. one, one of the things that I think is have always thought is interesting. and I don't know who's seen what, if you're a listener. So, the legend of what happened, at least according to both Snyder, Emily Browning is the name of the actress who plays Baby Doll. According to them, when they made the original cut and they released it to the MPA for rating, the MPA said, rated R. And they're like, well, we need this to be a PG-13 movie. We're making this for teenage girls. We, it, it has to be PG-13. And the MPA said, well, you cannot, you cannot release it as PG-13 because there's an insinuation towards the end of the film that baby doll sleeps with the high roller and enjoys it or decides that she's interested. She decides he gives her the choice to basically, I'm not going to rape you. I'm not going to force you to do stuff. You can do it or not. And she decides that she wants to. And the MPA thought that was bad because it ruined her innocence. So they told him that he could leave the sex scene in there, the love scene. But they but he had to take out that conversation. And they suggested edits. And Z- Snyder was like, no, now it seems like he raped her you you, i don't want this and so he took the scene out entirely so now in the theatrical release there's a hard cut from her helping sweet pea escape to her being lobotomized spoilers mm-hmm. for the end of the movie yes. and i guess we should have said spoilers in before because that's all this episode <laughs> is oh wow but in the extended version there's about 10 mm-hmm, minutes of mm-hmm. content in there <laughs> of story that's just straight up missing from literally 10, maybe 15 minutes of screen time. That's just straight up missing from the theatrical cut. And that's where most of the plot of the movie actually occurs (laughs) like it is a now it is a significant point and I've watched this movie so many times over the years and I always go back and I watch the extended cut because I like dwelling on that scene because the scene shows and I basically summarized it a moment ago basically the entire movie is they're going to sell her virginity they're going to sell her virginity they're going to sell her virginity she didn't have any virginity they're basically selling her to be raped and she has no choice and then when they sell her the guy they sell her to is like. know i'm rich i could do anything i don't want to rape you all i want is an honest moment i want somebody to honestly want to sleep with me and i if you do honestly want to sleep with me i promise i'll try to be a good lover and then she decides to do it and he basically says i'll let you go one way or the other i don't really care i'm just looking for the honest moment so she has a choice and every time i've watched it i've watched it in years and, and i've gone You know, I get the point he's making, but it comes across as still so gross because it says the only agency that she has is the agency of, you know, she can sort of kind of decide whether she Mm -hmm. wants to be a sex toy or whether she only wants to be thought of as a sex toy. And that's gross. And then I realized, oh, that's the point. Yeah, that's the only agency. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. Like he knows what he's doing. And he like, yes, there's a way to do it and leave it as a more empowering message of, hey, maybe she could not sleep with him, and that would show that she really did have a choice, except that then you don't feel gross as a viewer, and Snyder wants you to. Like, <laughs> I think, Tony, you said at the very, very think- beginning, he wants you to feel bad about liking the movie.
3: No, 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 I think he wants you to hate the movie. He wants you to be dissatisfied. Like, he wants you to sort of, like, be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's what I think.
1: And when I was talking a bit about how, when it comes to a question of genre of this being a <laughs> horror movie, to me, like, we are supposed to see Sweet Pea as at- As like the spin on the, final girl, right? Because one person has mm. to escape to the asylum. Um, mm-hmm. But then we realize that Sweet Pea is the manifestation of baby doll that gets to escape and just exists inside her head. And we realize that there is no escape, right? Like, this is a horror movie with a crap ending where everyone dies. Oh, so like, you think
0: Sweet Pea is fictional? Because that was going to be a question of mine for later. You don't think that and, she exists.
1: And I think that that all of this is fictional. And when we talk about a- the agency that exists um, is just this idea idea of like, because she's choosing to be lobotomized like and and rather than give up her sexual agency yes yeah rather than give up her sexual agency and and does that make you feel icky that those are the only choices that we get to have as women is like sexual agency or lobotomy like yeah but but there's also like this movie wants you to feel gross because it wants you to understand that women Mm -hmm. feel gross all the time and it's so for those uh readers who haven't read the blog i was like this is basically just the monologue from the barbie movie about how hard it is to Mm -hmm. be a girl because you have to be sexy but not too sexy it's just in horror movie form instead of cute barbie movie form and that there is something really important about my big complaint with the end of the barbie movie is that you know all of the executives are still men (laughs) at the company at the end of the day like Barbie itself is not a fun, happy movie with a happy ending where all of the problems are resolved because it understands the reality that we are all still stuck in the Zack Snyder horror movie. And especially as someone who does view this movie as being like a very queer fantasy and this idea of she does sleep with a cis man and it it does come up. I just feel like all of these relationships that she's having with all of these girls are so queer coded that we can't help but see there is something Raider going on here. hmm
3: um, I think that to your point, like one of the things that movie makes the shell narrative, right? Is Baby Doll and the rest of the girl being in a burlesque show slash brothel. Mm-hmm. The middle right? show. And that, yes, and the middle shell, right? And mm-hmm. that is Baby Doll's fantasy mm-hmm. in the moment prior to or after she gets lobotomized. And we have to contend with. Why does baby doll fantasize about being a sexualized object? and being human trafficked Mm. and aestheticizing, right? And one of the primary things that came away from this movie, which is kind of hard to watch at some point, is that fantasy is not escape. Mm. It is survival. It is survival, yeah. That's survival. So, and when I say fantasy is not escape, I mean in the sense that trauma and the guilt affect and structure fantasy. Mm -hmm. So she's fantasizing about being sexually objectified in ways that are more livable. Because right. in the house that she was in, that might have been all that she knew, right? Like, you can't... It, like, when we say the question of whether Babe doll is innocent or not, it's, like, sort of like, no, she mm-hmm. never did anything wrong. It's just that her very imagination has been structured by, like, the most evil, patriarchal, a sort of caricature of the patriarchy, right? So that even her power fantasies include right. being sexually exploited, abused and tainting the very guilt that results from the death of a sister because of her mm-hmm. own like sort of misapplied attempt at agency mm-hmm. and freedom mm-hmm. right? it still happens with Rocket, mm-hmm. Right, she repeats the guilt and the trauma of losing her sister with Rocket, and that's when you realize that she and Sweetie are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's like a hard read. But um, one of the things, one of the things that I got from the extended cut, which I did not get from the theatrical cut, is that Doctor Gorsky I mean, mm-hmm. she comes into the room after the lobotomy and catches yes. Blue molesting the lobotomized baby doll this movie is bad. Like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, like this is a lot, mm-hmm. this is a lot for the audience, right? It's molesting baby doll. Madam Gorsky goes, she was a really hard case. She's talking about baby doll that mm-hmm. resulted in a fire at the insane asylum. Just like, just like baby doll set a fire in the burlesque house as a part of her escape Yes, and resulted in fights with other inmates and the escape of an inmate. So right. some of the things, the fantasy, some of the things that happened in the fantasy were not mere fantasy fantasies. They were memories of the week that she spent in the asylum with the other girls that okay. did, in fact, halt in the escape of Sweet Because after after you see Baby Doll, you see Sweet on the bus. bus.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's what I want. Yeah. That's what I wanted to talk about. So here's where I, because I was paying a lot of attention yesterday and then I rewatched these scenes today because I have this question because I did anticipate we were going to take it in different ways. Monica, you specifically said there are no other girls are all just her, right? Like that's your reading of it. I tend to read it for me in that Sweet Pea exists. I don't think Rocket, Blondie, or Amber exist as functional real people. Maybe they don't. It sort of doesn't matter. There are other girls at the asylum, but like, but Sweet Pea is the only one who I think is specifically real because it has to do with what Tony was just saying. I think that Baby Doll is not a real name. I think that our protagonist, oh, you know, her life is so awful. Her life with her abuse a stepfather having lost her mother having indirectly caused Mm -hmm. the death of her sister while trying to save her and then going from that to an asylum is just pure trauma and what tony just said like the best she can come up with for a survival fantasy like her absolute best most positive thing is okay I'll believe that I'm being sex trafficked. That's the look up. That's the best she's got. And like, she's fantasizing about that because it, Better. And in that fantasy, she gets to be a virgin again. So that's where I think the disconnect is. She's not a virgin. The protagonist isn't, mm-hmm. but the fantasy character mm-hmm. of Baby Doll can be. And Baby Doll can have her innocence back. Baby Doll can do this. Baby Doll can do that. And Baby Doll can have friends who are alive, even though they're traumatized as well, right? Like Blondie and Amber and Rocket and Sweet Pea's lives are not good. Sweet Pea, Baby Doll identifies with because Sweet Pea is. Only in the asylum because she went after her sister, the same reason baby doll is there. Baby doll is there. Like, so she sees her as a kindred spirit. It's questionable as to whether she exists or not. I think she does, but I I understand both readings of it. I don't think the other girls really functionally exist at all. And that's because Madam Gorski, or actually Dr. Gorsky, not Madam Differentiate <laughs> no, 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 Dr. Gorsky, right. Dr. <laughs> Gorski. Well, no. Well, so, do, I'd say right. Madam is mm-hmm. the one inside the fantasy. Dr. Gorski is the Yes. Yes. Um, This is important. Mav, go for it. Right, because Doctor Gorsky says this one was a lot of trouble, traumatic upbringing, and then she's like, while she was here, she stabbed an orderly, she caused the fire, and she helped another inmate escape. Which means that Sweet Pea is real. She never mentions. And then three inmates Uh, die. Right. If they like, she would mention like in the fantasy, Rocket, Amber, and Blondie die. So I don't think they functionally exist in the actual real world. I, you know, other than the fact that they're maybe there, or if they do exist, they're, like, ideas. But, like, the person that she, I think, believes in, I think there is a person that is Sweepy, that is real, and she's got this coping mechanism, and she sort of fantasizes about a world where she is traumatized enough that she can have a good fantasy.
3: Um, Max, <laughs> like, it's I so weird. Friends with you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that Sweepy is both the girl Woman who escapes at the end on the on the bus, but we don't know if that girl is. I'm using finger quotes. Sweetie, sweetie in the fantasy, is obviously obviously it's not obvious, but um, I'm obviously <laughs> arguing it. Um, for me, sweetie <laughs> is. Person who is Baby Doll's ego, right? Her ability to make decisions successfully and lead. Blondie is the person who is Baby Doll's weakness, right? Her self hatred, the way that she's, Mm -hmm. the way that she feels that she could break at any moment, and then Jenna Malone Rocket, the sister, obviously Mm -hmm. the sister that she lost. Sister, yeah. Jamie, but Jamie Chung Amber, she is her insecure about, like, not being able to do things. Remember, like, because remember, Amber is the one who's like, can I do it? Like, she's, ugh, can I get the fire? Right? So Amber's the one who's like, can I do it? Am I competent enough? Blondie is the one who's competent enough, but she doesn't have the will to, like, keep the secret. She's the one who informs mm-hmm. on them, right? But Sweet Pea is the one who's like, I'm going to keep us safe. I'm the ego. So it's almost like it's both. Is that the girls are also projections, but when you talk about Sweet Pea, it's Baby Doll's projection sweet pea is a projection of baby doll onto that girl who she helped escape sorry right (laughs) Susie? you're
0: saying yes some random girl yes who looks like abby cordish
3: (laughs) in a a weird way it's very much like rogue and carol right from x-men right rogue has a carol dan in her head while while carol danvers is out Sorry, sorry. I'm obsessed with Rogue. You know what I'm saying? And that is what, well, well, actual Carol is like living her life going like, bitch, you have a version of me in your head. That's crazy. Like, right. And that is also what I love is that when we talk about relationships between people who experience trauma together, we interject and we merge in order to survive. We become parts of each other. Right. Like that's trauma bonding.
1: This is why I push back on this being such an important movie is because we're having discussion of mm. trauma, right? And this idea that we are judging people who have gone through trauma, or this idea of something, especially Tony, like, to bring up, like that the fantasy is the best that you can think of because you haven't. Ex- Experienced or known something different. Like when you grow up in a trauma household, you don't know that other households aren't traumatic. Mm. Like if you have never been to a healthy, loving household before. And so this idea of making the best of a scenario is mm. a is also a you don't know what you don't know. And so it's a bunch of healthy people judging what survival is or what yes. like what mm. those things that again feel really re-traumatizing to someone. Someone who has been through all of these things in, in ways that, and this is why I think this is such a nuanced movie, as someone did grow up in an abusive household, as someone who did grow up as a, as a victim of trauma quite early, that there are parts of this movie that, again, like, are really meant for people who have gone through that and aren't meant to be understood by other mm. people. When oh, we have our discussions right. of not every movie is for mm-hmm. you, like... Sucker Punch and, and Zack Snyder himself said, "Like the people who come up to me who say that these movies, like their favorite movies, are angsty teenage girls, like it's because it's people who haven't gotten to see like the rest of the world to understand that things don't have to be this way. Like it, it is okay for there to be movies for angsty teenage girls. They need that. I needed that. Like mm-hmm. and and it's just it shouldn't be dismissed because it's not understood by everyone. And and I think that I love that we can have discussions that are." are about these ideas of what is this film really mean? and how can we take it seriously? How can we take these girls seriously? Because about how all of these people, especially people in trauma are, are judged and aren't taken seriously.
3: Yeah. It's sort of funny. So Monica, you're talking about how like movie is like for a certain sort of like parallel sub traumatized subject. But I think that on another level is that a lot of this movie and this sounds condescending is because people didn't critically engage with it far mm. enough because it is so off putting for so much of it. But once like you guys forced me to negotiate the different layers of signification, it's me sort of like having to negotiate each of the different layers layers, Mm. like reminded me about certain stuff. And like, like taught me empathy again. Like I was like, like, like Monica, when you say Tony, you don't need, like, like we don't need to know her psychobiography, like to know that she matters, right? Mm. Like, that's a powerful lesson, right? And that's like, it's also like, like Michelle Foucault saying how like psychology, psychiatry was all about creating a documented history so that we could control subjects, right? And like, this is sort of like anti-Foucaultian where it's like, you don't get. A record. You don't get a psychiatric um, evaluation. You have to go into the layers of her consciousness and deal. Mm. Um, so, for instance, sure. it's that, I, and I think that this is behind my baby as ego um, thesis is that. Um, Zack Snyder talks about the movie. He says um, that it's supposed to be self and it's supposed to be deconstructionist. Um, and he cites, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> cutie pie." But um, um, sometimes, sometimes you know, I'm such a, I'm such a literary critic, and like sometimes I want, to, "Oh, Zach, sweetie, hold my beer."
0: Why don't you th- hold on? I want to ask Mike because you've written on Snyder before. My take on Snyder, just in general, is I don't think he knows what the word deconstruction <laughs> means might. he uses it a lot <laughs> but like my favorite interview is not with him it's with his wife who produces all of his films she goes when we made man of steel and then we tried to double down on it for batman versus superman but after batman versus superman we learned an important lesson it turns out that people don't really like having their superheroes deconstructed and i was like and i said and i realized you know you guys say that a lot i do not think it means what it but you think it means <laughs> and, I like them. I think they're doing a thing,
3: but like, is he
0: self-aware
3: or not? Okay. So, well, he says, because again, he identifies with Sweet Pea because he's the ego of the, and when he goes, I was, no, well, he thinks so when he says, quote, I was so genre self-aware, Sweet Pea says, (laughs) right? And then he attaches himself to Sweet Pea. And then this is a quote within a quote in Sweet Pea. What the fuck is this? This is meant to turn the people on, which, and then he, and then he tells the interviewer, which is a reference to the movie itself. She says. I get the helpless mental patient but lobotomized vegetable that's not sexy and the meta moment mm-hmm. right like uh, when they're on the, on the they're in the theater of the insane asylum theater mm-hmm. of the burlesque house in that moment right and so what happens is, is that the, the insane asylum becomes a production of the burlesque house that is a metacritical moment and there is a Derridian deconstruction argument waiting to happen about the shell structure where like you can't get to a real psychobiography or like the solid psychobiography, it's like meaning is always deferred. Mm-hmm. Like actually, Sucker Punch is oh I don't know, yeah. honey. An opinion there, because because
0: I actually I agree. I think Sucker Punch is deconstructionist, and Man of Steel isn't.
2: No, but like, OK, you, yeah, no, like I think Man of Steel is the only quote unquote deconstructionist. Like I read Watchmen as an edgy teenager thing Zack Snyder did was he goes, oh, the Superman grew up after 9-11, after the second Iraq war and the financial crisis. And like the world around him, of course, would not like Superman. Right. Like The real deconstructionist stuff comes in Batman v. Superman because right. that's an actual Zack Snyder. That's, but yeah, yeah. yeah, but also like I, he has and he clearly has intentions behind things. Yes. Yeah, oh absolutely. Also, like I've been puzzling about the nature of deconstruction because I've had to read Eve Sedgwick all week and I don't quite get it and it's <laughs> causing me stress. But so like I don't know, who what is deconstruction? You guys isn't there some justification in queer theory out there that like I mean
3: uh... Uh, Wait, wait. I think that this is where like I'm a critical theory teacher, so like like do I have to um, I, yeah. like I teach literary theory. at Florida. Um, uh, deconstruction is before it's like sort of like a bunch of French dudes, yeah. and they're gonna say basically that any assertion of truth or structure. It's going to contain its undoing. So basically think about any sort of, I- like, um, any kind of structure of ideas or ideology is going to have, like, a zipper. It's going to in- go inside out, right? So what happens is, um, so let's use Sunker. sucker right is that there are three levels of reality right and right? at least at, at least, least. Right, right
0: right i would argue possibly four uh, and but, the, <laughs> but it's a different that's a different question
3: <laughs> meaning is being made but by the end of the movie the movie refer, like refuses to give you a base or a center to tell you what is mm. true. And so what happens is it, de- it deconstructs its own narrative, right? Like the idea that it's just a fantasy, but it's some of it actually happened. It's indeterminate. Like, so for instance, we can't say for mm. sure who Sweet Pea is, whether she existed, because at the end of the movie, there's like that zipping function where we thought it was just a fantasy, will be reality. And we have no idea how the fantasy codes Understand the base reality. Mm-hmm.
1: Almost, when again, and, and be, probably because we did at the beginning of the the episode, it's it's our our spinning top at the end of Inception, mm-hmm. right? Except right. this movie right. is just right. In right. ten times more entertaining. <laughs> Because it's actually Power of Fantasy That's with a music video. Like, this is just the movie that I want to watch. I don't want to watch Inception. But right. I think that we're dealing with the same, like, theoretical phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? And the idea that yeah. it feels like that audience Inception could be so different to those two movies is one where I, I consistently am like, is it form? Is it gender? Like, because it is to me, like, they're the same fucking but i
2: think they also came out a year within Mm. basically a year of each other like that's like part of why the reaction is the way it is i think is because like oh last summer we had inception now we had this and it's it's the same but different and i'm like oh that's why the critics hated it
0: which is so unfair too i mean it's like like because i don't i mean i think Nolan is often very up his own butt and to be fair it's in a way in which I enjoy sometimes like I so so I liked Oppenheimer a lot but Oppenheimer is a movie that on our review episode of it I said this is not for everyone and it turns out way more people are seeing Oppenheimer than I thought would I love Dunkirk I think Dunkirk brilliant but I get why people are just like oh god when is this over can't you just tell it in order like I get why people don't like those things and I get why people don't like this But I think that's what makes him interesting because he is doing a thing where I think people make this mistake. And I, uh, it's going to sound like I'm picking on Monica. I'm not, because I know how she really feels, but, but like what people will take the things that Monica was saying about not everybody movie needs to be for you. And that certain things are, you know, like you're singing to a different audience and they will make this argument that, Oh, you need to write what you know. So you need to be a part of a certain group in Mm. order to have a message that matters. And I don't, I don't think that needs to happen. I think Zack Snyder wants to do a story about trauma and the inability to believe women and the trauma of adolescence and the trauma of being objectified as a young girl and lots of things like that. He like things that he can never know things that he is a middle-aged man when he makes this movie and he can never know that, but he is fascinated by the idea. So he wanted to explore it. And people will say well but do you have a right and it's like I don't know that sure because he's interested in something and just because it's not his experience that doesn't mean he can't take a stab I at it
1: I want to ta- push on it a I bit I- more because um, I mean is a dad and he did have a daughter who struggled with mental health That's like true. you know the, there are parts of like true. even if this is not like intimately his experience still some mm-hmm. if we're as, as Tony as Tony was saying is if this is a film about how when you Ryan goes go through someone else's psyche and experience and understanding and the ways that we cannot possibly understand their experience their perspective the ways that their trauma formed that you know doctors are trying to make things prescriptive that can't really be prescriptive if this is a film about how you cannot understand the individualized experience of trauma and the fact that he's struggling to understand the of individualized experience of his daughters as a father like there is still something that can be said why he is allowed to tell that story and and to give that that message about mm. how the best that we can do is to try and meet everyone with empathy and understanding, knowing that it, it shouldn't feel pessimistic. It should feel realistic to know that mm. we cannot understand everyone.
3: And for instance, it's when we think about like writing what you know, knowledge, like trauma, is like a slippery. Mm psychological concept and I think that he's really insightful in the way that one of the things that he does know and that he is thinking about is the way that the film industry exploits Mm -hmm. makes a parallel with the idea of trauma that he says that he really encountered through other movies that taught him about trauma and I think that also what Monica says is really true is that love and sort of empathy and relations all share trauma right so the idea of owning trauma is so weird but there's all these different ways in which you can see that he's making connections and producing some sort of understanding that is his own right and I think that if we figured out anything is that that understanding is not cute he's not trying to anyone with it right which and there's a certain integrity to that and also it's so emotionally and intellectually challenging Mm. right that like it's it's not cheap is what i'm saying like it, it would be one thing if he made a cheap titillating movie that had no complexity whatsoever that was all about pandering to an audience right but this movie was the opposite right like and i think that i made the argument that like trauma infects the three different levels of person that is baby dolls consciousness right he's also talked about the way that exploitation infects art and culture mm. and, and the ways that women have to like have to be both i don't want to say victims but they have to be the object of that exploitation mm-hmm. then they also have to be punished for it right because they're the ones who are called. Cult- fluts and whores, right? Even when I said before the show, I was talking about, are we are we like are we OnlyFans hoeing? So, for instance, this is a weird connection, but one of the stars in the movie is an Australian rapper. Sweet Pea is an Australian rapper in her real life. Mm. Uh, and another an Australian rapper, Iggy Azalea, did an interview recently because she opened up an OnlyFans. And, w- of course, one of the questions that was asked of her is that don't you feel that you're exploiting your body? And then she said, because I think she's a little smarter than people. I mean, whatever issues you have with her. She says, what are you talking about? Men have been making money off my body for years, and I have seen None of it. Like, I got none of it. Um, so why shouldn't I be the one making money off my, Like, why is it an issue now? That I start making money off of it. And if I'm choosing the photos and I like or enjoy what I'm doing, right. Why are you saying that it's exploitation, right? Which is to say that like exploitation, which is getting it like trauma. It's almost like the law of entertainment mm. and, and women are ones who have to pay. And men are the ones or like studio executives, really. Like, I mean, I, I mean, it's 2023. A lot of them are women. Studio executives get paid. Right. And the thing is, is that, like, it's all there in the film. He's talking about multiple structures, like, so, mm-hmm. like, like broad social structures and various structures at the same time. Right? Like, like, do the push ups, baby, right? If you're doing that kind of work, right, then you can, like, <laughs> I'll give you time to, like, work on your body. Like, fine, great.
4: So, I just wanted to jump in really quickly because something that you said, Tony, really got my brain going. One thing that I was paying really close attention to on this rewatch of Sucker Punch is what the camera was doing <laughs> and what the camera was focusing on because a lot of the initial critiques of the film were that it was quote unquote male gazy, right? But the camera work didn't feel like a male gazy kind of camera work to me. It was very focused on their face and on their expressions and on making them seem strong and powerful in those moments of like the battle sequences. Right? so there wasn't a lot of like DNA there wasn't like pans up the body with the explicit focus on like showing off their sexuality like even in the dance sequences it was often th- their full persons I don't know if I'm making sense because my brain is getting a little fuzzy because it's mm. a little late but it didn't feel like the camera was doing fetishistic things oh
2: can I jump in on this like the only time to me that the movie does get that way is during mm. like the love is the drug sequence where like we just have this series of close up shots because dude loves his close-ups of objects of beauty <laughs> items and then like lips like clasping whatever you call the thing, the stocking clip thingies like that's when it is literally like objectifying women and making the comparison mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. editing of like women oh. as object in like classic Laura Mulvey stuff but like in the battle sequence and everything else which is like no they're just allowed to be powerful and they're not really that way because like god Joss just <laughs> justice league trauma I remember all the just oh, shitty ass shots of Gal Gadot in that movie. And I'm like, Zack Snyder would never shoot someone like this. This is clearly an insert. You're God.
3: I think that your observation, Zack Snyder talked about like editing the action sequences. And he said he wanted it to be blissful mm. and, ly- and lyrical mm. rather than tense. And one of the things that I love about this film, that the fights are not about the bodies. They're about emotion, mm. the kinetic, right? That yes. they
4: actually are beautiful. You're, you're 100% right. Like, I was thinking about the fight in the temple, which we can probably don't have space for today, but I did think kind of the, I've gotten a samurai sword now in this Asian inspired temple. With samurai monsters was kind of like oh, you might want to think on that one a little bit but I'm thinking about that battle sequence and how there were like a handful of fanny shots when she's like flipping around but it was very much I think in line with the fact that mm-hmm. they were all in dance leotards like it didn't feel like a sexualized thing to me not that sexualization is necessarily a bad thing but in that moment it did not says the hope like, of sex love and literature yeah right and we have a whole episode about like the female gaze that I'm working on right now which was a lot but you know the focus is more as twenty was saying on the movement and on the fluidity and on the motion of her clothes and how she's moving through the space. So it just feels like those critiques maybe didn't know what they were talking about, which is
0: my specific for the evening. I guess mostly for I- Iani, because that was one of the things I actually paid much a- a attention to this time. So again, I watched the entire thing. I've seen it a bunch of times, but I watched the entire thing yesterday. And then today I did some, you know, some spot watching, fast forwarding through. And in those fight scenes, I actually agree. Are they Malgazy? I would say no in the lore a malvi sense which is to say that the mm-hmm. mo- the fragmentation doesn't mm-hmm. happen which is what Iani was just pointing out there's power to them when they get dropped out of a helicopter onto the ground to fight steampunk World War one Germans yes. they do superhero land they're all over it right like they like they have the Deadpool superhero landing where the ground crumbles beneath their feet it's absolutely amazing and it's supposed to look powerful and because she's wearing a skirt, the skirt flips up at some point, and you see it's not like she's wearing a thong. She's wearing, yeah. you know, spanks, basically. You see her underwear because that's how skirts work. And it reminds me of way, way back. We did an episode about the male gaze and the, mm-hmm. the She-Ra mm-hmm. cartoon, the new revamp of the she cartoon. And that does that. It is an intention to say, yes, there is a sexualization to this, but it is a sexualization that is realistic. If I am, I'm going to try to pick something that people do in real life. If I'm, if I'm playing tennis, mm-hmm. you know, the, people don't fight dragons a lot. <laughs> but if I'm playing tennis in a tennis skirt, sometimes the tennis skirt flips up and you see shorts or underwear whatever the woman is wearing under the and that's just sort of okay because it is done in the service of the tennis game and if you don't want that to happen you wear shorts rather than a skirt with the exception of at Wimbledon where they force you to wear a skirt but there's a realism Mm -hmm. to that and there's also sort of an acknowledgement of which I think one of the things that this movie wants to do is this movie wants to allow the the inmate all of them but in particular baby doll because it's her story it wants to allow them a sexuality even inside of their you know like what she's doing is she's fighting for control over her own sexuality she's fighting to own it herself and so it's trying to allow her to do both could you have her have a fantasy where she's in armor and all armored up sure but what I've learned from my work with like cosplayers is the people who are looking to get involved in cosplay often don't want the non-sexy version of the costumes. And I'm seeing people cause I mean men and women and non-binary people, but often women want a feminized outfit. Like, so you end up with people who are saying, well, why do we have to have a boob window? You don't have to have a boob window. Some people enjoy mm-hmm. that sort of thing. This film doesn't do that. This film allows kind of a real, reasonable sexuality. But then after, all of that because it's doing it, I think the film knows that it's going to be looked at as objectifying mm-hmm. by very nature of what it is. The reason it feels objectifying and male gaze-y is because it stars five really attractive women. That's what it is, right? Like it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. what you, it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. you do with mm-hmm. Emily Browning. If you take Emily Browning and you put her in the Iron Man costume, she's gonna look sexy because she's just an attractive woman. And that's sort of if you can see her. People are going to attribute it to her, and I think the film wants you to say, "Yeah, but that's not her fault. That's on mm. you." And it's uncomfortable because he's a good filmmaker, and he's being manipulated, mm. right? He's saying it's not about the male gaze, but then he's giving you just enough of it because he doesn't have to. It's not even, baby doll doesn't wear a real miniskirt. Baby doll wears a belt that's <laughs> shaped like a miniskirt <laughs> because he, because he wants you to see it as sexy, and then he wants you to say, "But I'm
3: not being sexy." Like it's I, it's a trick. I and I like, it. like we're focusing on the fight scenes so much is that we also have to know mm-hmm. that the fight scenes are substitutions in the psychoanalytic and the narrative sense of baby dolls, erotic, mesmerizing dancing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. literally saying at dancing, like her objectifying herself. You don't get to see that. Right. Yeah. Because that mm-hmm. in her, you get to see it on her terms. The way that she makes sense of it, of herself, and she's not an object. She's an active, super echo steampunk hero, right? Like, I think just that mm-hmm. just that narrative is telling the male gaze, like, you don't have this. Um,
1: yeah, to, to yeah. something where yeah. I love mm-hmm. that I'm not going to say that the end of this, uh, we can't say like, we resolve nothing. What we're saying is Zack Snyder wants us to watch this movie and go you're the problem. And that's why people don't like it. People don't like being told you're the problem. It's all of the people who don't want to sit down and read books about institutional racism because it makes you feel uncomfy like understanding Ooh. that you are part of like misogynistic patriarchal society like and that you are perpetuating all these problems doesn't make you feel good and therefore like people don't want to sit down for movies that don't make them feel good you have to and you need to understand that you're the problem
3: yes like i believe i totally believe that but i think that that criticism like applies to like another my other favorite pessimist feminist moment which is promising young woman right like people Ooh, yeah. don't like mm-hmm even, even okay. the feminists i know don't like that movie because it is unpleasing right it's displeasing <laughs> yeah right? Well, um, right spoilers for the end right. but yeah it doesn't but, end well for um, anybody but one of the <laughs> things that is the difference here is that that criticism is being lodged which does not feel in a formal experiment is hard to, to mm. negotiate cognitively on one viewing right and is the, it itself does not feel good so then the movie is a double fuck you but both in terms of content and form. And I love it for that. We're sort of like we're really getting into the way that this movie is like um displeasing and that's a part of its value. But one of the things that Snyder would put in the director's cut, he says, after the lobotomy, the background behind Baby Doll breaks away and she goes into a musical number and she sings in what he calls euphoric victory. Mm-hmm. He's saying that she's in a loop of euphoric victory at all times, which I, I don't know. And she starts singing, mm. ooh, child, by Five Stair Steps. I'm not going to sing it. But um you can look it up. Mm-hmm. And so what, one of the <laughs> things that it does is it talks about the ways that we commemorate, memorialize or remember trauma, right? And the way that we remember it or record it for those who don't get to count. Um and to make that mm. death or to make that cessation a celebration of a life that we want on like a really sick level, we wanted to disappear. You don't want to think about what happened to Baby Doll or the person that was Baby doll, right? And sort of making it so that they're going to experience happiness mm. whether you like it or not, right? But the thing is, that idea, which was too weird, was mm-hmm. tested for mm-hmm. audiences. They were like, This is too weird. But that narrative trick will be used in pose. In the second season of Pose, episode four, which is entitled after the Stephanie Mills song before, um, one of the characters came, mm. um, who's one of the black trans girls. Um, is murdered unceremoniously and that episode was so hard hard, but also did fucking work because it's talk because it talks about the way that murder of black trans women is muted those bodies don't matter Mm. like to, 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 to borrow from judith butler right and so we don't we're not allowed to mourn them right we're not allowed to appreciate their lives and we're not allowed to mourn their deaths and in order to get both the celebration and mourning is that at the funeral, you have the actress that plays Candy, Angelica Ross you have her come out and she does a lip sync number of stephanie mills never knew before because she's Mm -hmm. claiming Mm -hmm. the right to be loved and the right to the right to love and the right to be mourned and the right to celebrate her life and Mm -hmm. it's sort of interesting Mm -hmm. how that operation or that motif is too weird for a Zack snyder movie it works well with Mm. queer, queer context of pose
1: which I want to continue to be like. Sucker Punch is a really queer movie, and right. in this, like, yeah, see, the executives can say that this is too weird, but that should have been the moment. Like when I uh, hear you speak about these, things, I think about like Sadia Hartman's Venus and Two yeah. Acts, and and this isn't as about this idea of these two black women who are recorded dying on a slave ship and the fact that Sadia Hartman talks about her frustration of not being able to find anything else about them and that their only records are on deaths. But then she starts to talk mm. about this idea that for her to need to know more about them is in its own way objectifying women who are already objectified. The need to make someone inherently useful and to use them and to Use their bodies is re-traumatizing on people who have already lost all of their agency. And so there is this mm. idea of, yeah, you don't want to think about people after they are dead, but also what do you do with people after they are dead that feels very similar to these conversations that we're having about candy or about baby dolls Like, what do you do with uncomfortable scenarios that you that you don't want to talk about? And the fact that we should be pushing audiences to feel more uncomfortable about our needs to make people useful to us rather than the celebration Mm. of who they are inherently on their own and that i think also points to this like we don't need to know things about baby doll for her to matter so
0: yes i don't know i mean i think it's a complicated Mm -hmm. movie i think it i think it's better than people give it credit for but i also get why it doesn't work for everybody but I think we're all on to it. I think, you know, what we've resolved is it is not a bad movie. It's a movie that is doing the hard thing in an uncomfortable way. And that's kind of the point. I mean, is it successful? I don't know. Oppenheimer is the number two movie in America right now. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like it, it's OK for things to be hard, I guess. I mean, Isn't Barbie's it? number one.
1: And I did preface um, this by I, saying it's just Barbie for girls who like Monster High dolls. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate Monster High do we have a do we have a whole episode on Monster High dolls in us? I don't know. We have to think about that. There's a possibility that we do. <laughs> but anyway, I do want to thank all of our guests for joining us. This has been fun. This is a big, fun conversation that, you know, I hope people are going to give the film another chance. So I kind of want to see how it goes. But let uh,
4: first. So where can people find you? Oh, man. Well, people can find me on my podcast, Sex Love Literature, which you can find at Sex Love Lit on Instagram, threads, and technically Twitter. But I don't know how much we're going to be using Twitter. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram at Ayani does things, and technically on Twitter at Ayani does stuff. <laughs> technically. I mean, I'm there, but I also deleted the app because the ex is is ugly and i think it's time for me to distance myself so <laughs>
0: it's, uh, people have so many feelings like, Oh, God. and i mean you're not wrong we have an episode in us on so twitter's a shit fire right <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Mike, what about you?
2: Uh, people can find me in the UCLA offices of East its third floor where I live. <laughs> I, like, I was like, oh God, where am I on the internet? And I'm like, go read multiversitycomics.com. I co run the web comics column there. And uh, I'm on Letterboxd. search Mike Maz, and you can see my DCEU power rankings and other kind of trolley posts and weird <laughs> obsessions.
0: Thanks for joining us. It's so hard because like I'm on every social media, but like the one that you sort of tell people about just professionally for so long has just been, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Maverick. And it's just like, you know, it's going to get hard. It's just, it's difficult. And that's, I get both of you are like, we're, that.
3: we're in a transit. We're in a, we're yeah. in a transition. Yeah, but, yeah, but like, We but don't know what's what? going to be. Yeah. The, what's gonna land. Of- hey, no, no, no. Cause I, I have, I have a, th- I have a, th- Oh, a, yeah. I was just about to say, Tony. What about you? I, I, you I have a,
0: threads and what?
3: Right. No, actually, my threads and my spill are like Tony <laughs> eats puppies. You could probably, you should probably be. Um, and my Instagram is Tony eats puppies. But um, for my ideas and stuff, you're gonna want to get me at Theory of X on X Twitter. Mm-hmm. And watch out for my podcast of the same name, Theory of X, dropping um, at the end of the summer or the beginning.
0: Yeah, the and I, I, and like you're you you're you're sticking with this. You're not gonna rethink this. What with uh, what the X has come to represent i mean i know what you're talking about so i know that
3: i know why you've chosen (laughs) i want it i no. we should should clarify for the listener why is it called theory of x theory of x is my um podcast about critical theory using an object of pop culture comic books or superheroes to understand Mm -hmm. a given theoretical school like feminism sort of like what we did on deconstruction Today, but mostly it's because when I had the name Phil Jimenez told me that's it, that's the one, and I was like, okay, that was it. But I love the idea that it plays on theory of variable, yes, which is my first. It was an X Men
0: thing, but now like Elon has just ruined it. It's just ruined everything.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's just. I have. I don't think anyone would mistake my ex for Elon's ex. I'm deluded enough to think that my ex has a certain (laughs) (laughs) sub-affair. But thank
0: you all three of you uh, for joining us. Monica Marvelous, what about you?
1: Well, because I haven't yet used my blue sky referral code that you gave me three days ago. Um, you can find me on Instagram or on Twitter at Monica Marvelous on Instagram that is L-O-U-S on Twitter that is L-O-U-X oh God. Um, (laughs) It is definitely time to go.
0: (laughs) You know, you could just click on the blue sky thing, and you could be on threads anytime you want. Threads is where the party's at. I'm telling you, threads, it's going to happen. Everybody loves. Threads. Right.
1: By, okay, by Monday, <laughs> when this episode airs, we'll have signed up for blue sky and threads and you can figure out some version of the L O U S X's, uh, but it'll be at Monica marvelous. Anyway.
0: So you can follow me on some subset of those sites at Chris Maverick. <laughs> Actually, I'm on all of them. I'm still on all of them. I'm still on Twitter. I'm always at Chris Maverick. Hook up with me on MySpace. Remember MySpace? Hey, kids, what about (laughs) Friendster? Who has a Friendster account out there? I've got a Friendster account, I think. I don't know if it still works. Oh, how about, you know, Six Degrees? Who was on Six Degrees? I'm old. You guys don't even know what Six Degrees is. That's how cool I am. I'm bringing it all back. So, you know, hook up with me on uh, I don't know. Was it got a movie? No, Six Yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> but it was also a social networking site that was uh, that used the concept of the movie. It's like everybody is six degrees of separation from everybody else. It was that uh, it was it predates all the stuff that people still use today. This <laughs> was before
2: Kevin Bacon memes also about no,
0: around uh, the same time. Around the same time. Okay. I think Kevin Bacon might slightly predate it, you know. <laughs> I wonder if I know my live journal password. So, I probably I'm glad do. Glad you brought
4: that up. I just got an email that was like your live journal has turned twenty two and I was like, Oh god.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I betcha I'm gonna I should check out we should like bring that back. Like we should all work together to bring back live journal. <laughs> <laughs> why not yeah. but yeah <laughs> oh that's right because they're owned by the russians anyway <laughs> that's why everybody left i forgot anyway you can follow the show right now just on twitter and facebook and mostly on facebook at vox Popcast because we've lost our instagram account and i've just given up it's not coming back and i am sad and i don't know why and i like really if anybody out there just like has any insight and works for instagram find out why we did nothing wrong i mean the shows the instagram was is mostly just, you know, copies of our episode artwork, which is also on my Instagram page. So I guess for now, follow me on Instagram and follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you find out what we're going to be talking about on upcoming shows. Like you could have read the blog that Monica wrote for this show and you can leave us comments on this or any other episode. You can give us thoughts. You can suggest topics for us. You know, anything like that. We like to hear from people. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, except for I think it's possible by the time this episode drops, Stitcher has finally closed its door. So, you know, maybe try Pandora. I don't know. Like, whatever your favorite podcatcher is, wherever the hell you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that induces the algorithm, makes us more popular, and really helps us out. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank all of our guests for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.